Will you take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Let's read from Proverbs chapter 9. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray together. O come, wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. O Emmanuel, God with us, deliver us from our own foolishness and pride. Fill our hungry souls with your truth. Transcend the idolatrous visions of our own self-worship with the radiance and beauty of the Father. Son of God, faithful and true, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, uh, I looked at an email Brad sent with sermon topics um, for the first three months of 2023, and uh, right next to today's date, and right next to my name, I saw the topic, the natural man, simple, fool, scoffer, wicked, and I couldn't tell if it was a sermon title or just a label for me, Um, and as I was chuckling about that, I was reminded of a time about 11 years ago when I received a call from Brad uh, late one night asking if I could preach for him the next day. And I may have shared this story before, but I think Jennifer was in labor with Cana, and they were on their way to the hospital. And I said yes, and I don't remember what I preached on, but I do remember getting there, and uh, I know that I had uh, far less time to prepare that sermon than I did this one. Um, I arrived, I took a seat in the old barn, if you were there, you remember... 
I turned to the bulletin to see what songs we were singing, and I saw that Brad had printed his sermon title, and uh, right there where I was supposed to speak, the paper read, again, as if it were a description of me, the backstabbing brother. <laughs> so I don't know if this is like an ongoing thing between us, but uh, I'd like something nice next time. Last week, a uh, pastor shared uh, what the scripture says about the wise man who walks with God. And today, uh, we'll talk about the foolish man who worships himself. And I, I joked with Brad after the message last week that I was just going to take his notes and uh, turn them to just uh, make them antonyms and just say the opposite stuff and uh, it would work out well. But um, towards the end of our time together, he said this, wisdom means walking with God in the majestic and the mundane. And if that's the case, then today I want to talk about what foolishness means. If wisdom means walking with God in the majestic and the mundane, then what does foolishness mean? You'll find that the outline in your bulletin is slightly different from the outline I'm using today. If you're taking notes on that, please forgive me. But let's begin by introducing the foolish man. We want to find a context for the foolish person that we will be talking about for the rest of the message. And scripture, uh, especially the book of Proverbs, gives us five different types of people who do not fear God. Uh, There's a book by Donald Orthner, a very helpful book, uh, just a description of Proverbs, and I'm grateful for Brad uh, handing this to me. Uh, Very clarifying content, and I think he does a great job of helping us understand the five different types of foolish people Uh, that we see in the book of Proverbs. So first of all, uh, we'll see in the book of Proverbs a natural man. Uh, It's important to understand what the natural man is. Often it's just signified in the book of Proverbs simply by the word man. Uh, This is a person who does not fear God in their most basic form. As a kind of a base reality, they don't believe in God, they don't fear him. And we see these types of people all around us. Uh, Often they're good people but they really have no thought toward God at all. Some characteristics of them, and I've got a few scripture passages up here. You could write them down. I'll read a couple of them uh, as we go through. But first of all, the natural man thinks he's okay. Uh, Often we think that too, right? The natural man thinks he's just doing okay. Uh, He says, I'm a good person after all, right? Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The natural man doesn't understand his spiritual need. He says, if I'm not a bad person, uh, then what do I get out of this religious thing, this God thing? Proverbs 30, 12 says, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. We also see that the natural man's life will be full of trouble and end in death. And Proverbs 16.25 tells us, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Second, and we'll just go through these quickly, the naive man or the simple man. In Proverbs, often we see uh, in older versions, uh, this type of person is signaled by the word simple, even in our, our reading today. This is a person who's not thought deeply about life in general, and especially about what it means to fear God. They're not aware of the forces around them uh, and and that uh, they are trapped even in darkness. And frankly, they're happy to remain ignorant. There's some characteristics of them here. They lack wisdom. Proverbs 8.5 commands them. Oh, simple ones, 
learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. They're easily tempted and misled. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And they're drifting towards irreversible foolishness and eventually will face destruction. Proverbs one thirty two says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. So the natural man, the naive man, the fool. Proverbs is very clear about who the fool is. And we'll read, if you go through the book of Proverbs over and over again, this is what a fool is like. This is what a fool does. This person acts as if there is no God. And we'll see this uh, later. Even in this, they are actively worshiping. By acting as if there is no God, they are choosing to worship something other than God. Some characteristics. They're self-reliant and proud. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. They reject godly instruction, and they choose instead to actively practice sin. A couple of verses here, Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 13.9, A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to a fool. And we see in Scripture that their lives will end in failure and shame. And in Proverbs 3.35 we read, The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Fourthly, we have the scoffer. Uh, older versions of Proverbs, uh, uh, older Bible versions will often use the word scorner. This person not only goes his own way, but he actively mocks sin and the judgment of God. And some characteristics of this man, they are filled with pride and they love being contemptuous. Proverbs one twenty two says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? They actively cause trouble for those around them. Uh, friends, neighbors, their country. Proverbs 29.8 says, Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. They will be despised by God and judged severely. Proverbs 3.34 Toward the scorners he is scornful, speaking of God, but to the humble he gives favor. And then finally, the wicked. This is someone who's bent against God and who actively works to subvert the plans of God in the world around him. And some characteristics of them, they are proud and defiant before God. Proverbs 14.2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. They're drawn to evil and they knowingly pursue evil ways. Proverbs 21.10, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. They will be defeated in their sin, praise God, and punished for it. Proverbs 14.32, The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Uh, I appreciate you walking through these many passages. They are, uh, there are so many more. And Proverbs exists as a warning to us uh, as we've started off, uh, as pastors preach these first several sermons in the series, as a warning to us and a reminder to us that we must fear God, otherwise we are 
one of these people. It's important to note uh, that before we move on, that the core of each of these types of people is the same. Every single one of them at their base has a sin nature. And so while it's easy for us, I think, uh, through Scripture to separate them out into some sort of, of category based on the word choices we find in Scripture, we have to acknowledge that for each of these, that the natural man, the base man, is susceptible to the same sins that the wicked is susceptible to. And by the same token, the wicked man can be redeemed just as the natural man can. So today, uh, we'll talk about the foolish man, and I don't intend for us to focus specifically on the third slide I showed. I'm not just speaking of the fool. Instead, I'm going to use the term to describe and speak of anyone who does not fear God, from the natural man with his basic instincts of self-idolatry and all the way to the wicked who hates God himself. The sin of the foolish man is the sin of I. Uh, You and I were created to worship. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve created to give praise and glory to God and to walk with him in an attitude of worship. And it's, it's my hope that this morning we'll be able to demonstrate that all of our lives are spent worshiping something. There's not a moment in each of our lives where our affections are not devoted to the service of something or more specifically to the service of someone. And for believers, this someone is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Scripture says, the king of kings and lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. What a a description of the God we worship. But for those who do not worship our Lord Christ, this is someone who is often themselves. The creator and sustainer of of nothing. The king of their home, or maybe a country. The lord of their pets, or maybe even an estate, who will most likely pass away before the age of 100, and who dwells in a place decorated to convey how much they mean to the world. And we have a choice about who to worship. Uh, I think one sounds better than the other right offhand. Even Lucifer, the most beautiful being in all of God's creation, was drawn into self-worship when he chose not to worship God. Will you take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 28? I'd like to spend just most of the remainder of our time in Ezekiel 28 comparing this prophecy of the king of Tyre with a fool and talking about what it looks like when we choose not to worship God. In Ezekiel 28, the prophet Ezekiel is asked to prophesy against the prince of Tyre. We do believe that he was a real man around the time of Ezekiel. But often, and we'll see this in a couple of different places, God reveals these prophecies to men in order to provide a reference to spiritual truth on a grand scale. And I think this passage is just such a passage. We we believe that it alludes to Satan's fall from heaven. So I'm going to read uh, Ezekiel 28. Will you follow along as we read the first 19 verses? The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas, 
Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken declares the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the mountain, the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, You profaned your sanctuaries, so I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. As we read through this passage, it's so interesting to me that some of the same sins that we see from this Prince of Tyre uh, are the very same sins that the foolish man is said to commit in the book of Proverbs. And we've read a couple of those this morning, a few of those. Uh, One of my favorite passages of Scripture is is in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. And and we'll get there a little later. But in those verses, the Apostle John gives us some phrases that I think are very helpful as we try to understand the sins of the prince of Tyre and the sins of the foolish man. And and John characterizes everything that is in the world system as coming from one of three motivations. First of all, the desires of the flesh. And that is the the passionate gathering of pleasures to be heaped on yourself. Second, the desires of the eyes. That is, you must have everything you see. We often call that greed or covetousness or envy. And the pride of life. That is, pride in your own self and in your own accomplishments. So let's look at the sins of the Prince of Tyre, and uh, let's just compare them to the sins that are found in the book of Proverbs using these phrases from 1 John. And as we talk through these, uh, I will often refer to the foolish man as we, um, and I want to clarify that I'm referring to 
just the we of humanity and not the we as believers. We have a different calling. First of all, Lucifer and the fool, the desires of the flesh. We see on the left-hand side of, of these slides words from Ezekiel chapter 28. And then on the right-hand side, we see words from the book of Proverbs. And uh, as, as I was going through this, it's so amazing to me that God's word is, is consistent. We know this, but, but when we see it in action, God's word is consistent from the moment he began speaking to us all the way to the end. The sins that we see in Proverbs are the sins that, uh, that Lucifer, or the prince of Tyre, commits in Ezekiel 28, and later on we'll see in Isaiah chapter 14. So first of all, the desires of the flesh. Uh, we see in Ezekiel 28, 16, up on the top left, he says, In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence. And in Proverbs 27, 3, on the right, A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation, or his wrath, is heavier than both. This is such an interesting characteristic of fleshly desires, isn't it? As Lucifer and the fool are filled with passions and a desire to heap pleasure on themselves, you'd think they'd become more and more happy or more and more satisfied. But in reality, when you heap pleasure to yourself, you're filled with anger and with wrath and with violence. The God of my own self is never satisfied. In Ezekiel 28, 17, God says, You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then in Proverbs 1, How long, O simple ones, will fools hate knowledge? When our passions are corrupted, we're willing to turn on and hate even the most beautiful and peaceable things we've been given. Wisdom and the grace and kindness of God. In Ezekiel 28, 17, again he says, By the multitude of your iniquities, you profaned your sanctuaries. And in Proverbs 13, 19, he says, To turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. As the natural man, the foolish man, begins to stockpile sins up onto himself, it no longer becomes just wealth or pleasure. I think we all know, maybe it's, it's yourself, maybe it's someone else, we all know someone who has begun to gather wealth and riches and vanity and all the things that, that feed the self. And eventually, it, it doesn't just stay there, eventually it turns into more and more and worse and worse sin. We frantically, in those moments, are grasping as humans, as self-worshippers, for anything and everything that we think we deserve. And our souls, our hearts, are never satisfied. And we can't even look away from it. It's sad uh, to see someone caught up in this type of sin. Uh, it's sad to think back on my own life when I've been caught up in sin and to see how there is no way apart from the Holy Spirit of God, to break away from the grasp of self-worship, to break away from the grasp of satisfying my own desires, of wealth and power and all of the things that go along with it. Next we have the desires of the eyes. From Ezekiel 28, verses 4 and 5, 
God says to the prince of Tyre, by your wisdom and understanding, you've made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth. And your heart has become proud in your wealth. And then Proverbs 11, 27 and 28. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. As we amass, as as foolish people, all of the riches and pleasures that this life can afford us, we become more confident in them. We trust in them, and we want more and more. More wealth in our minds as humans often equals more protection. Uh, We read this throughout Scripture. Some trust in chariots. We as believers, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And as, as we equate wealth with power and protection, we want more power and more protection and more pleasure until our souls are uh, destroyed by it. And then thirdly, the pride of life. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. And uh, we see this also in Ezekiel. Um, sorry, this is actually uh, in Ezekiel 28. He says, your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. And then in Proverbs 21, verses 24 and 29, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride, and a wicked man puts on a bold face. It's amazing to see the sin of the devil, this one that we uh, think of as so outside ourselves. We could never be as wicked as Satan was. He fell, he was cast out of heaven. He had all of that stuff going for him. If we were in his position, we probably wouldn't have done the same thing. We think probably the same about Adam and Eve often. But Satan, as he was in the heavens with God, decided, I want to be like God. And he fell as a result of it. And Proverbs tells us that we have, as humans, the exact same tendency. Satan, Lucifer, worshipped himself instead of God. He turned his gaze from God to his own power and pride. And we also do the same thing. And it's easy for us, right? Especially for those who are not converted, who are not Christians, to say, you know what? God doesn't mean a thing to me. I'm just here for myself. And the result is the same. There's a parallel passage in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. In that passage, we read about the king of Babylon and the pride of life, uh, to use John's term, that he felt. And, And again, we see this as prophetically referring to the fall of Lucifer. I'll just read those three verses. Isaiah says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That's gross, isn't it? Uh, I think uh, a few minutes ago, 
I asserted that at every moment in our lives, we are worshiping something. And as we read this passage, I think we sense who the king of Babylon or who Satan is worshiping. And I hope as we look at Proverbs that we can begin to see then how in the absence of a worship of God, humanity quite simply begins to worship ourselves. When we refuse to acknowledge God as creator and sustainer, we replace him then with anything that serves our own interests. And then we begin to excuse it as if we are not like Satan at all. And and I assure you, we are so creative with how we excuse this and the ways that we convince ourselves that this isn't true. We read the Ezekiel passage, as I said, we think, man, I, I could never do anything that crazy. And yet, for some reason, even as believers, John has to remind us in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world. And he has to remind us about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of these things will go away. Self-worship is futile, it's temporary, and it will be consumed. Scripture tells us that the sin of I does not just end in futility. It ends in punishment. And the prince of Tyre was punished. We read this in the, the uh, verses 16 through 19 of Ezekiel. Um, I won't go through them again, but God punishes this prince for his attitude and actions towards God himself. And the king of Babylon was punished. In Isaiah 14, 18 through 19, God says to him, All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot. Foolish men who refuse to fear God, and more than that, who strive against God, will be punished. And we see that throughout Proverbs um, we could go through so many verses, but just a couple for you to write down. Proverbs 11.21, Proverbs 11.23 and verse 31, Proverbs 21.12. Proverbs 21.12 says, God, the righteous one, observes the house of the wicked, and he throws the wicked down to ruin. And there are so many more verses. It seems hopeless for the foolish man, doesn't it? It seems like, as we look at it, he will go to nothing but punishment and destruction. And in fact, as I was studying this week, I read a commentary that suggested that for the fool and for the scoffer and the wicked, for the last three of our slides, there is no more hope. But is there hope? Throughout Proverbs, there is hope. Throughout Proverbs even, there is the command to the foolish, to the scoffer, to the wicked, turn. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from scoffing. Turn from your foolishness. And then throughout Scripture, the command is given even to the hardest of men's hearts and the the most difficult of nations, repent. We read in Proverbs 9 this morning that wisdom has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Leave your simple ways and live. And often we see in the book of Proverbs that this command is accompanied by a command to fear God. It's not enough to realize that we're simple and that we've got 
some bad stuff going for us. Instead, we must turn to something. If foolishness, if self-worship is turning away from God and to ourselves, then turning away from wickedness is turning away from ourselves and back to the God who created us. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, Just by way of application, I just want to briefly change a little bit of context from the world to now us as believers. It's easy for us, I think, uh, to find the exact same temptations at war in our own hearts. And uh, the sin of I takes many forms. Uh, We think about our kids as, you know, three-year-olds yelling, I want it, I need it. And, you know, we say this as adults too, don't we? Um, it's, It's this foolishness of a child that is still bound up in all of our hearts. There's, there's selfishness with our own time and resources. Maybe an outsized focus on wealth or power or comfort or beauty, especially if we find those things taking up attention that should be directed toward Christ. There are so many other ways we find in Scripture where God is not placed first, and it's self-worship, it's idolatry of self And we love to excuse it, even as Christians, right? We call it good for the sake of experiencing freedom, or we want to experience art. That beauty reminds me of Christ. Or or we want to gather enough assets to pass on to the kids. We call that good stewardship. And, And freedom and beauty and art and inheritance, they have places in our lives. But if we are not laying our lives actively on the altar daily as a living sacrifice to God, then we are most definitely, with those things, sacrificing to ourselves. And we are worshiping ourselves instead of God. As I've read this, my prayer is just that that God would shine his truth into my heart and root out the lies that I tell myself that are all hidden in the the corners of my heart, and that he would cleanse me from the sin of self-worship because so often my focus is turned away from him. There is a cure. Thank God. The cure for self-worship for the sinner and the saint, and it is truly a disease, is a right view of God. The cure for self-worship for the sinner and the saint is a right view of God. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. If you turn, there is life. If you do not believe, if you are not a, a Christian, if you've not trusted Christ, if you've not turned toward God away from your sins, understand that there is life to be had. But if you have trusted Christ and you struggle with these sins, there's life, there's hope, there's joy in turning to Christ and fearing the Lord. If we look back at 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. Speaking to Christians, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. 
but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The antithesis, the exact opposite of a love for the world is a true love and fear for God. A book I've really appreciated recently is by G.K. Beale. It's called We Become What We Worship. And uh, I recommend it to you. He speaks of how uh, Old Testament idolatry uh, and the punishment that is given to those idolaters is, is uh, specifically based on the idolatry that they practice. And so even in our own heart, the things that we idolize are the things that we become. And he writes this phrase, which stood out to me, we are all worshipers. There is no neutrality. We are created, we are, uh, we are born to worship something. We are created to worship God. But when we turn away from God, we begin to worship ourselves. As I've studied this, um, I've been convicted. And if, like me, your heart is convicted by this, if you see how often you need to work, or how often you work, excuse me, to satisfy your own desires instead of sacrificing those desires to God, I want to offer you the reassurance that the Apostle John offers in 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Come to Christ. Confess your own self-idolatry, ask for his work in your heart. As the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminder of your grace despite our foolishness. Thank you that you have rescued us from being fools and wicked men and scoffers and have turned us toward your son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we ask that as uh, we try to walk through this life and so often are tempted and turned aside by the things that distract us from our worship of you, please keep us always focused on Christ. Help our hearts to be mindful of him at all times and then to be convicted when we're turned away so that we can come back and fear you as you've commanded. And we thank you for the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.